0: Hello and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen.
1: Good morning. There's times when I want it to just keep singing, and I'm like, oh, but I have this message I want to give. You're putting me in a lot of tension there, buddy. Uh, thanks for leading us. So um, we're in our second week of small groups, as Lenny referred to, and if you haven't joined a group, I'd like all of our leaders to stand up so you can see these are people that are leading. So if you're leading a small group, go ahead and stand up. Some of them are up They're all over the place. And these groups, first give them a hand. They're serving us. You can sit down. So there's groups back there in the cry room. There's a group right up in here. There's a college. You're in there in the fireside, high school, and uh, uh, junior high. You guys, I don't know if you're going to go anywhere because the van is still in process. Um, There's a group there in the boardroom, there's a group in my office, there's a couple of groups in the ACE. And so if you're not in a group, look for one of those leaders and say, hey, where's your group at? I'd love to meet with you. Or when the service is over and around 11 o'clock, just wander around the campus and find a spot of some inviting people and join those groups. I will walk around and check in on the groups because some groups might be too small and we might want to merge them or a group might be too big and I might take a few of you and say, hey, join another group, get our groups a little bit balanced out. Your leaders have these little chips. How many of you got chips? Okay, If how many of you want a chip you don't have one yet, huh? Okay, check in with your leader. Kids, you can get some of these. You'll get these from your teachers because I don't want to just throw them out there and say, whatever. I want your leaders to say, hey, do you want to um, endeavor to walk with us as we say, What does it mean to follow God with everything? What does it mean to love God with everything, love our neighbors? And so we want to do that in community. We'd love to have you have those reminders. How many of you found this a challenge to carry in your pocket this week? Anybody to lose it? I lost them many times and grabbed another one from the box. And then I found them. Anyways, the point of that is not there's nothing special in this little token except it's just to remind us, oh, this is what I'm trying to devote my life to loving God and I want to remember the things that God put on my heart. So it's just a little token to help us remind, uh, remember what we're going through um, as a church. The main point, what's the main point of All In? It's just to love God with everything. And last week, we looked at loving God with your heart. Another way to say that is with your will or with your spirit. Your heart is the control center of your, um, of your life. And so God starts really in the most intimate small, I don't know, most centered, focused part of you as a person, and challenges us, invites us, calls us to say yes to him with that control center. That's what we talked about last week. What could be more than choosing to love God with your heart? I'm glad you asked. There is more. And so I'd like us to read, if you would, again, pull out your pew Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read this very familiar verse, which even though it's familiar doesn't mean that we've nailed it or that we can't be reminded and encouraged by it. <laughs> Page 1,105. And we're going to read verse 27 out of chapter 10. We're going to read it out loud together. Uh, a question was posed, um, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And, you know, in other words, to have life, not just now, but forever. How do I get that? And Jesus said, well, what's written in the law? You know, what do you read in the Bible? How do you read it? And he, Verse 27, let's read together. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Today, we're going to look at loving God with your soul. And before we dive into that, has become a habit for us, is I want to pray, because even though we've invited God's presence here and we ask for him, we worship him, I want to specifically ask for his help in teaching us how to love him with our souls. So join me as I pray. <clears throat> Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Spirit, you're the helper. Help me to teach clearly. Spirit, direct us into your truth. Give us your power to live it. We all know it's one thing to choose to follow you. It's another to act. And we confess we can't do this on our own, and we invite you to help us, even now. Christ's name, Amen. So the soul, um, we're going to look at another one of those Bible project videos. And you don't know this, but when um, when we made the decision to say let's do this all-in series and let's look at this passage of what it means, you know, what's the most important thing is to love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the most important thing. So as I charted out these messages and began working on them, um, lo and behold, on my uh, Instagram feed, I started getting these videos from a, a, a ministry I follow called the Bible Project, and it starts saying, hey, we're going to do a video on what it means to love God with your whole heart. I'm like, oh, yes, you are, <laughs> and I'm going to show the church, and this is the one on the soul, and they were just, it was so good. I mean, you, you have to like these. They're great videos, but like, it was really a confirmation to, for me to go, wow, we're working on this, and a really great organization has put time and energy and good theology and work into helping to teach. And what they do from a pastor's perspective, they teach more in the three or four minutes that we watch these videos than I can do in a half an hour. They they do it so well. And then adding the visuals helps us, helps us learn. So go ahead and roll that video. And don't say it's the wrong video because it's the same intro each time.
0: Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We are going to look at the word soul. The Hebrew word is nefesh. It occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. The common English translation of this word is soul, and that's kind of unfortunate. Here's why. The English word soul comes with lots of baggage from ancient Greek philosophy. It's the idea that the soul is a non-physical, immortal essence of a person that's contained or trapped in their body to be released at death. It's a ghost in the machine kind of idea. This notion is totally foreign to the Bible. It's not at all what nephesh means in biblical Hebrew. The most basic meaning of nephesh is throat. throat) Like when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty, and they say to God, we missed the cucumbers and melons we had in Egypt. Now our nephesh has dried up. Or when Joseph was hauled off into slavery in Egypt, his nephesh was put into iron shackles. But nephesh doesn't only mean throat. Since your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat, nefesh could also be used to refer to the whole person. Like in Genesis, there were 33 nefesh in Jacob's family. That is, 33 people. In the Torah, a murderer is called a nefesh slayer, and a kidnapper is called a nefesh thief. On the first pages of the Bible, both humans and animals are called a living nephesh. And if the life breath has left a human or animal, the nephesh remains. It's just called a dead. Nefesh, that is, a corpse. So, in the Bible, people don't have a nefesh. Rather, they are a nefesh, a living, breathing, physical being. Now that might surprise you because most people assume the Bible says the soul is what survives apart from the body after death. And while the biblical authors do have a concept of people existing after death waiting for their resurrection, they rarely talk about it and when they do, they don't use the word nephesh. So even though nefesh is often translated as soul, the Hebrew word really refers to the whole human as a living physical organism. In fact, this is why biblical people can often use this word to refer to themselves. And gets translated me or I like in Psalm 119 most translations read let me live that I may praise you in Hebrew the poet literally says let my nefesh live that it may praise you by using nefesh the poet emphasizes that their entire being their life and their body offer thanks to God In the Song of Songs, the young woman constantly refers to her lover as the one my nefesh loves. And of course, love isn't just an intellectual experience. It's an emotion that activates your whole body, your entire nefesh. This helps us understand the brilliance of other biblical poets who could combine multiple meanings of nefesh in one place. Like in Psalm 42, we read, as the deer pants for the water, so my nefesh pants after you. My nefesh thirsts for the living God. So, on a physical level, your throat can be thirsty, like a deer's. But then that physical thirst can become a metaphor for how your whole physical being longs to know and be known by your Creator. Brings us all the way back to the Shema. To love God with all of your nefesh means to devote your whole physical existence to your creator, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place. It's about offering your entire being with all of its capabilities and limitations in the effort to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the Hebrew word for soul.
1: That... He always finishes videos. And that, I like that. Devote your whole self to the loving God, your whole being to love him. And and I'm seeing this pattern when, when we read the scripture that says love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. We're starting small in your heart, not necessarily small, but just like focused. And then it's now out to my physical body. Take your body, use your body, your nefesh, and love God, fully devoted to God. So, with that concept in mind, there are so many scriptures that we could look at. I'm just going to pick, I don't know, four or five to go through, but the Bible is loaded with this, and God has a lot to say with us loving um, him with our bodies. I first want us to look at uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and this would be a good use of your nephesh, of your body. Romans 12, <coughs> verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So some thoughts here, and I've talked about this passage before. But when you think of your body, one of, the, one of the, probably the only best thing you could do is just to say, I'm going to die. I'm going to sacrifice. But it's to be a living sacrifice. See, you could, I suppose, die for God, but then you're not able to serve him. You're just going to be with him. So the scripture, Paul teaches here, offer yourself as a sacrifice. Say, okay, I'm done living for myself. Now I'm going to be a sacrifice for God. That's, that's what this is, is a living sacrifice. So you do that with your body, not just yourself, but offy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's an act of worship. Worship gives worth. You show the worth to God, and it's ongoing, and you're useful. Now, the two words that pop out here that I've talked about before that I really think are helpful for, to us is, do not be conformed to this world. Remember when we talked about conformed? The world would like to smash you into a mold to press you into a certain size and shape. Usually there's a uniformity to it. So it's saying, don't be conformed to this mold. Instead, be transformed. And that's the invitation God has for us. He says, I'm not going to press you down and squish you into everything being exactly the same. He's going to water us, farm us, cultivate us, shape us, and we're going to bloom and be transformed. You know, the, the idea of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly or a seed becoming a tree that's what God is after. He wants us to develop and become who he's called us and made us to be. And the world, with its pressures, wants to press down, which can't feel very good, into this form, be all the same. You get the sense here? And God's saying, hey, sacrifice yourself. Let me have my way with you, and you'll blossom and become all that, you've, that I've destined you to be. <clears throat> so first thing we can do with our bodies is offer them to God as a living sacrifice. And then there's some more scriptures. First Corinthians thank you. I'm a little scratchy this morning. First Corinthians um, I think it's chapter six. I didn't write the chapter in here. Verses 18 to 20. Yes, yeah, six. Ah Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Flee sexual immorality. Scriptures just tell us, because this sin is against our body. It's like punching yourself in the face. This kind of sin you don't want. You don't want to do any kind of sin. But this sin, this one's unique. It's against your own body. And the instructions are to flee. You remember the story of Joseph with Potiphar's wife, and he didn't debate. He didn't think about it. He didn't try and. He just. He actually took off without his clothes. He was like, "I'm out of here." He did instantly. That's that's our encouragement when you're tempted. Especially in our world, there are so many temptations. Our world, at least in our culture is set up in such a way that there's just temptation everywhere. And so the instruction is to flee. And the encouragement, the, the truth here is, your, your body is where God lives. The, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the pictures, I was working on this, again, looking at it this morning, I thought, what if we just left a bunch of trash in the sanctuary? Because we kind of sometimes think of our sanctuary as a place where, certainly where to worship God, but kind of like a temple. You just brought in like a bunch of McDonald's trash and threw it on the ground. Imagine like filling this room with a bunch of garbage. That's what the picture is. Why would you trash God's temple by doing this? And by the way, the reminder, you were purchased. You're not even your own. Matthew 6, 22. Another. This gets a little bit more specific on our uh, part of our bodies. Um, so that one was a poor use of our body. Um, here's where, where, where we see that we have a choice. Matthew 6, uh, 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is, is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now listen to the context here, the next verse. No one can serve two masters for evil. He'll hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is just illustrating that we have a choice. The eye is the lamp of the body. You have good eyes, and we're not talking about just physical eyes here, but how are you using your eyes? Then you have health. If you're using your eyes, and you can look at the passage I read before, if you're using your eyes for lust or envy, or greed, and there's a big long list of how are you using these eyes. They're a tool. If you're using them and you get habitually using them for, for um, sin, you're going to have darkness in your whole life. We, we've all experienced this. It's terrible. Versus train your eyes to look for the good in people. You know, train your eyes to see the good things that God has made, that the good things that God's doing, you'll have a lot of light and a lot of health. So we're given that just that picture of, you know what, you can you have two, you can only serve one master. You can't serve two. And that gives us a choice. And then probably the biggest, I would say, comprehensive passage on this topic, Matthew 25, uh, 14 to 30. I'm not going to read this passage, but it's a parable Jesus tells about stewardship. And, and God gives us different uh, you know, the owner in this place gives gives people different things, and some, one guy buries it, another one a couple of people double their profits, and the, the idea is God has given us all different things. One of the things that God gave you is your body. Are you a good steward? Do you take care of it? You know, as, wow, this is on loan from God. I'm going to take good care of it. Or do you use it for God's glory? That's the question here. When it comes to stewardship, he's going to call us all into account. Did you use what I gave you for my kingdom? Did you take care of it? Now, now more the, this is the part I enjoy is the practical part of a sermon. What are some ways that we can be good stewards of our nefesh? I um I came across a, an email. You know who this, this pastor is, Rick Warren. He wrote the purpose-driven life. He actually graduated from the same high school as me. Kai hi. He wrote this. Everything you have is a gift from God. Most of us are accustomed to looking at our money, our talents, and our time as a gift. We're like, yeah, those are gifts from God. However, stewardship is much more. God wants us to manage every aspect of our lives in a way that will maximize our influence. That includes how we take care of our bodies. Honestly, I didn't pay attention to my health for years, but I had an epiphany a few years ago. I realized that my health could limit my ministry. And I needed the energy to do what God was calling me to do. See, at this time when he wrote that, he had this big thing called the peace plan and how their church, very influential church, he's a very influential pastor, and they had this plan to actually do these things all over the world. And it was going to require actually a lot of travel for him. And he realized, I don't think I can keep up the schedule. I don't think I have that kind of energy. And he wasn't taking great care of his body. He was just kind of working, working, working and not really thinking about his body. And that's when he wrote that stuff. And I thought that would be a great um, tip-off for us to really consider that if a person of, of great influence and a really godly man says, you know what, I've come up short on this. I need to take care, better care of my body. One practical way we can take care of our bodies, and I'm going to show you a book. Some of you have uh, seen this. I've certainly talked to a number of you about it because I'm passionate about it. It's called Why We Sleep. It's by a, um, a professor at Cal, um, Matthew Walker, and... He, um, he does, the book is fantastic, and it just talks about why sleep is essential to human beings and what's the point of it, what's the benefits of it, and he struggles with, like, he's looking at it from an evolutionist perspective of saying, why would we, you know, lay down for eight hours when we could be killed by something, hunted down by something, we're not working, you know, not many other um, animals sleep in as deep of a sleep or a type of sleep that we do, and he's asking all these questions, and through really, really good science, comes up with a lot of great answers. I love the book. And he talks about how actually being awake, like right now as I'm talking and you're listening, you're going through low-level brain damage. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) And we need to sleep for brain repair. In fact, we need like seven to nine hours sleep to get our brains to be repaired from this damage that I'm doing to you right now. I, know. Uh-oh. Um, I I was fascinated by that. And there's so many, he talks about the chemicals that wash through your brain and restore things and heal you. And even that you can figure out problems, you know, like this saying of go sleep on it and you come up, wake up with a solution. Your brain is actively, a part of your brain is actively working like crazy while you're sleeping. A lot of your brain is, is sleeping and resting. And we need to do this. And I could go on and on. I want to talk a lot about this. I won't. But, um, Sleep is so important for you as a follower of Christ. So important. In fact, I think it's one of the best ways to worship God. Say what? One of the best ways to worship God is to lie down, close your eyes, and trust him to be God. And there's two things you can do. There's lots you can do, actually, if you can't sleep. But two things that that come to mind when I can't sleep. It happens to all of us. At some point, you can't sleep. And it it could be this that you've been pushing God aside and he wants to talk to you and you're so busy during the day that you're not doing it and he may wanna impress something upon you or he just may want you to ask for help and so I know when I wake up it's, you know, and I'm worried about something, if I can remember this, is just to say, God, what, what, are you trying to say something to me? Or do I have something that I need to say to you that I'm not saying? I, I've just not made time for this? And so prayer, sometimes when you can't sleep, just pray, be with your father, and then maybe learn to pray at other times so that he's not waking you up and you can get better sleep. Second thing that is really helpful when it comes to a Christian in sleep is, um, like I said, it's a spiritual act of worship where you just say, I'm going to depend on you, God. That's what the Sabbath is all about, is saying, God, I'm not going to work this day or I'm not going to do things, I'm going to trust you work when I'm not. So sleeping is that. God, you're going to run the world, run my world while I'm sleeping. And so a verse that's so helpful in this is is in um, Psalm, be still and know that I'm God. You know, if you can't sleep, just lay there. You're getting like 60, 70% of the benefits of sleep, even if you're just laying there awake. And by the way, if you're saying that, you can even meditate that, be still and know that I'm God. Guess what will happen probably? You'll fall asleep. Or you could stay up and worry and stay up and worry, feel like awful, not get any sleep, and you won't get anything accomplished by worrying. Who of you can add a single day to your life by worrying? Scripture gives the answer none of you. So, sleep. Sleep is so good. In fact, when you sleep, you're smarter, you live longer, you're healthier, you don't get sick. There's a zillion things that happen with sleep. Sleep is a gift of God, receive it but it requires dependence on God, which actually following God requires dependence on God. So sleep is a great area to really wrestle with your faith and wrestle by just letting go. And even if you just lay there, but, but sleep is a gift. And I love that God put that rest as a key component of following him, even actively by passively letting go. Sleep. Can you tell I'm passionate about sleep? Next one, real practical way to care for your body is exercise, exercise. There's a, again, I could go on a, a ton of scientific benefits of exercising, but um, for me a breakthrough on exercise, I'm a pretty active person, you all know this, and I, I love to play and those kinds of things and that's benefited my body most of the time except when I hurt myself like Drew and then I learned guitar. <laughs> um, but exercise is super important. Again, I won't give all the reasons, it just makes you healthy, stronger, all that good stuff. But um, it relieves a lot of stress, and I have found, in a good example of this, and I haven't been the last couple of weeks, but a number of us go mountain biking on uh, Wednesdays after work, and you get good exercise, get the heart going, and get out in creation, but you also talk, and you also don't talk. You can just be silent and ride, but you're getting a workout, and you feel that much better, and then we go to the next one, and we go eat a giant burrito, too big, all right? The next, when I say next one, the next practical way of taking care of your body is eating. And the other night, I don't know what, you had like a work lunch or something, I'm talking to Maria, and you brought home, what was from El Palomar? Oh, El Palomar, best restaurant in town. She brought me these leftovers from El Palomar, and so I got to have her leftovers from lunch. It must have been a pretty big plate, because there was a lot of food. And I was tired, came home from work, and the Dodgers were on the game that they won. Yay! And I made this giant plate of leftover Mexican food, and then we had this bag of Fritos, chili cheese Fritos flavored. And I had this big banquet, and I'm watching the Dodgers, and I felt a little, I mean, just confession here, I felt like, hey, I've worked hard, I'm tired, I deserve this, and I just ate it all. And then she'd also brought some cookies. Remember those, (laughs) big bag of those, those leftover cookies from what's a Pacific cookie? Yeah, big old cookies. And there wasn't just one. And you should only eat one of those. They're pretty big. How do you think I felt in the middle of the night? I didn't. Was I a good steward of my body? No. Yes. I felt like it tasted great. I'll say that. Sin's good at the start. Felt lousy. And I was, you know, working on this. I'm like, you're a hypocrite. taking care of your body and eating garbage too much. And the point is, is that, Taking care of your body and those requires some discipline. Because your body's screaming out, don't discipline. Do what you want to do. Give in to your pleasures. And God's way is like, no, that's not good. That's not good in the long run. You've got to take care of your body. Not only be a good steward because it's on loan, but be a good steward because you can just do more. You don't sleep well, you can't, you, you're, you're going to get dumber, you're going to get sick, and you're going to die early. That's not a good steward. It's not what we want. What about some specific examples of moving from your heart to your, also using your body? They're not separate parts; they're all together. But we're called attention to these separate parts. There was a fire. Um, I don't know if it is Renee in here. She's not in here. I'm calling her out. I get to. Up. There was a fire in Paradise, California, and she went up there and helped serve, helped clean, helped people get their valuables. So she had compassion. Her heart felt for these people. This terrible devastation and she did something about it. And many of you helped support her do that. There's a number of hungry people in our county and we have a a kid here who had, with his friends, had a bake sale. Is he in here? I see you. And raised a bunch of money. How much was it, like 800 bucks? 825 825 and any change? (laughs) And 25 cents. So he's not just thinking about hungry people and feeling in his heart and even deciding in his heart, I'm going to love these people. He's thinking, I'm going to do something about it, right? See, so he's using his body, not just his heart. He's loving God with his body. What about when the youth go down to Mexico? I can't think of a better way. In fact, that's what's so, so much genius about going to Mexico is you actually physically go somewhere and you get dirty you know, pounding nails or playing with kids in the dirt, what all this stuff, and your whole body is involved and your heart gets captured. Some kids, some students go and they don't have a heart for the ministry, they're just going on the trip and then their heart gets captured. Others are like, I want to serve, I want to love people and then their body is involved too. You see how these are going together. Love God with your heart and your nefesh, your soul, with everything. I want to give you three Um, encouragements. These are kind of pastoral words. Your pastor's going to say, okay, I've challenged you. Actually, God has challenged you in his scripture to take good care of your body. Use it for good things as a living sacrifice. Let him blossom you. Don't use your body to do these things that lead unto death. Use your body. Let me give you three encouragements that you should know in the context of this. The first one is, do this with God's strength. You cannot lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. Do this with God's strength. This morning, I was, um, when I woke up real early, before it was light, I was reading in Psalm, and I was in Psalm 119, and it just noticed, knowing I was going to preach on this, I noticed these verbs, when we're crying out to God, how much it was dependent on God's help to do these things. The psalmist writes, "'Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, you know, I will, "'and I will keep it to the end. "'Give me understanding that I may keep your law, "'and observe it with my whole heart.'" lead me in the path of your commandments for I will delight it incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish game turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways confirm it to your servant your promises that may be feared turn away from the reproach that I dread for your rules are good behold I long for your precepts in your righteous give me life See what's unique about God is He's not saying do this thing and then He walks away and see if you did it. He says do this thing and then there's a verb that shows up in Greek. It's this really long word, and I've talked to you about it before, called soon antilambano. One word. They just took like three words and connected them together. You know, I don't. I wish we could do that sometimes. But soon antilambano, and we were told about a picture of it this morning. Soon antilambano means while someone's laboring, you come alongside, and you help them, or sometimes you actually even pick them up and carry them, right? And Lenny talked about Marty with Joanne, that she's holding her the whole time. That's coming alongside. And so we're going to labor, we're going to endeavor to follow Jesus, we're going to love God, and the Spirit, upon invitation especially, comes alongside, lifts us up, and carries us. That's what the call is. You don't do this on your own. You do this with God's power. Soon, ante lombano. Ask for God's help. First one, do this with God's strength. The second one, do it for God's kingdom. What's your motivation? For yourself to look good? No. The motivation is to bring God's kingdom on earth. That's why we're doing this. And then do this together. Do this together. That's what I love about the mountain biking. I like to go bike by myself and be by myself. But there's something about doing life together, exercising together. Food, most of the Bible you read, there's actually a lot in the Bible about food, and it's almost always together. Food and fellowship, Go bet. you want to get to know someone? Have a meal with them. Life is to be done together, which brings us to communion. It's even in that word communion. And as we talk about okay, I want to love God with my heart. I want to love God with my body. I've been noticing this as I'm working through this and I'm trying to live this out, it feels like it's getting harder and harder. I feel like the decision to follow God like yep, I'm on board and then the actual practice of it, I'm finding I'm aff- I'm messing up. And I need help and I can't do it by myself. And that's the invitation. That's even the invitation of taking communion. We take it together in the same room together. Another thing about communion with regards to thinking about the soul, the nephesh, the body, is that communion isn't something that I just read a passage and then you mentally, even in your heart, assent to it like, yeah, I agree with that. Communion, you take part with your body. You taste the bread. You drink of the cup. And you're remembering his body, so the soul, the nefesh is involved when we take communion. Let's pray. God, just like you told us about the heart, we can't figure it out. Our bodies, we can't rein them in. But we invite you to come up alongside of us and carry us as we struggle as we work, as we strive. We present our bodies as living sacrifices. The very picture of Jesus on the cross, an actual physical and spiritual sacrifice, is our model. And he's who dwells inside of us. So we pause before we remember you in communion and we just look at our lives we ask your spirit to reveal areas of sickness, of sin, of mistakes where we've chosen darkness instead of your light. And we're confident that as we confess these that you're faithful and just to forgive us. Thank you for Jesus. For the life you lived the good use of his body, the surrendering of his body, the resurrection of his body, proving that death has no grip and was defeated. Thank you for our bodies. May we use them for your glory.
0: Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.